The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Learn to quiet the noise of the ego and connect to the truth of your soul. Join former monk and host of the Practicing Human podcast, Corey Mascara, for Living in Alignment, a weekend workshop live stream, live from Omega Institute's campus in Rhinebeck, New York, June 28th through 30th. Rebuild your life from a place of embodied listening and quiet knowing. To learn more and register for this live stream, go to eomega.org thrive. Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. My guest today is passionate about helping people to overcome tragedy, stop seeing themselves as victims, and realize how powerful they are. At the age of 36, in just three short days, he went from a strong and capable man to living in a lifeless body unable to move or speak. He suffered total paralysis and was diagnosed with an aggressive form of Guillain-Barre syndrome. He held a vision of being able to ski again and eventually made a full recovery. Then in 2012, his world came crashing down again when he witnessed the loss of his best friend. He writes about transforming your worst moment into your greatest gift in his book, Finding Ugly. Scott Sunderland, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So I first met you because you shared a video in the group of your journey um, overcoming paralysis and the physical therapy that you went through. And honestly, it was so moving. And I think we should share that one in the group again. You can find it on, on YouTube. But I challenge anybody to watch that video without tearing up because... To see what you experienced and and that you got through that and how you grew from that is really inspirational. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even for me to to look back at that, and I do love to watch it because it does, it reminds me. It reminds me of back where I was and to uh, and to really step into that again. You know, I don't want to be there again, but it is a good memory, um, honestly, because I knew, you know, coming out of that was just so, so big for me and and just, yeah, changed my life for sure. The whole thing. So can you tell me what is Guillain-Barre syndrome? Guillain-Barre is an autoimmune uh, disease that it basically what it does is it attacks the myelin on your nerves. So your body um, thinks that it's fighting a cold or a fever and it attacks itself. The body just attacks itself. And what happened to me was the myelin, which is if you look, if you think of an electrical cord, the myelin is the shielding that covers the bare wires. And what the, the what Guillain-Barre did was attacked the, that covering. So it just left bare wires. So basically what happened is it, it's like having a road with a bunch of bridges in it and all the bridges go out. And there is, you know, I, I 
I went through all different stages. At first, it, I mean, it was bad for sure, but I could kind of move just a little bit. Um, and then eventually I did lose that functionality. Um, I couldn't blink. My eyelids wouldn't close. Um, my eyes would just roll up into my head. And, you know, I, I was kind of, uh, I didn't want to see any mirrors of myself. Um, so really it was, it, it, it's just really, it, it's really funny, you know, because for me it was, I was living a life that I wasn't supposed to live. And this is the way that my mind was going to reset. It was going to reboot my body and reboot my mind and reboot my life to where I would make those changes. And I really, it took me a while to get to that point. You know, it took me probably a good two, three months. But when I finally did, that's when the connection started to, to happen. And I just kind of surrendered and yeah and that was pretty much it and then from then on out it was you know i could start getting little things back i'd be able to move my fingers my arm i would be able to raise my arm up like all of a sudden because all of a sudden it was like there was all these construction crews out there building these bridges up again and i would be able to move a finger then i'd be able to move an arm and uh yeah it was pretty it was pretty it was a wild ride for sure but I knew, I knew it was for something. I didn't know what, but I knew that I wasn't going to live in the bed because I, I just couldn't accept that. And I just knew it was, there was some purpose to it. So That sounds so intense. And it must have been really scary, especially at first, because, I mean, were you, were you sick and then, like, you started to lose motor function? Or did it just kind of happen? Well, it really, it really just kind of happened probably about, um, about four months prior. Uh, I have a construction company. I had it, it, it back then. And I was, I was just really burnt out and really overworking myself. I was working literally 18 hour days. Um, I was on the road. I was away from my home. Um, and I was just so under so much stress because of the people that I was, you know, building, I built retail stores and the stress of it. I was behind on the, on the jobs. I couldn't get help. And it was just, my mind was like, I, I just want to go home and I just want to go lay in bed. I just want to sleep. And I, I really just kept having that feeling like that was the only way that I could stop this runaway train. And finally, I was able to finish the jobs. And during that time, I did, I ran a fever and it spiked to uh, just over 105, which was, I, I didn't even think you would live through that. But it did. And um, probably about four months after that, three months after that, it, I was, you know, just building, I was working. And I just started to feel it. It was, I started to feel dizzy. I started to feel numbness in my foot. And then three days later, I'm laying in a bed. And it, it really, and, and no one knew what it was. No idea what it was. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it all kind of started. So I got my wish. 
I wanted the world to stop. I wanted to just lay in bed and just let the world leave me alone. So I definitely got my wish and I knew I put myself there. So that helped me getting myself out of there because I knew I asked for this, if that yeah. makes sense. Be careful what you ask for, but it's almost like on some level you'd set an intention, you were aware of that intention. You're like, oh, this is, <laughs> yep. this is how this is gonna turn up for me, okay? So I think it's really important that you were able to hold that vision of that this wasn't gonna be forever, that you, know, you were gonna recover from this. And I like how you, you talk about the picture that you put on the wall. Can you tell mm. us about that? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I am a very avid skier and I just a few months before I was in uh, Utah and uh, with a very dear friend of mine and we were for like a two week ski trip and um, I was just in heaven. I mean, it was just amazing. I, I loved it and I really, um, I, I had this picture of me on the top of the mountain. Um, and I just, me and my wife at the time put the picture on the wall and I would just, I couldn't really watch TV cause it was, it was painful to watch because it, the, the, just the blurriness and the dizziness. So I would just stare at these pictures and that picture was at the top of my board and I would stare at it all the time and I would memorize it. Like I would stare at certain things like a tree in the background or a mountaintop in the background. And I got really, really good because I didn't have a whole lot to do. So I would stare at that picture like a lot and I, I could stare at it and then I would, I thought closing my eyes, but my eyes were rolling up into my head and I would visualize it in my mind. And then I would open my eyes and I would look at it and then I would visualize it in my mind. So when you're doing that for, you know, two months, um, you get really, really good at feeling the moment. And I took that little, you know, whatever it is, five by 10 picture. And I really created an environment that I lived in because again, I'm living in a little room, a little hospital room, and there wasn't much there except these pictures. So I really made that picture like a, like a little kid playing make-believe. That was my environment. And I got really good. Like I could feel, you know, the wind on my back. I, I could see my skis in the snow and how, you know, by the, the little clumps of snow on my skis and on my boots and how they would start to, you know, the snow would start to melt. I got really, really detailed. And I did that because it was fun. It, it was an outlet. It was something to do. And um, yeah, it really, you know, it, it, what I, you know, later figured out was I was just really intending. This is what I want. And I saw myself there. And by seeing myself there, I felt it. I really felt, I could almost hear the people around me. I, I made it, I made it an event. I made it yeah. my environment. 
you experienced it as being real, 100%. as what it would, and not yeah. just what it looked like, but what it felt like, what it smelled like, you 100%. know, what the emotion of it, what's around you, and that's such a yeah. powerful visualization technique. Um, I would wager that that's one that you recommend to people now. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I I coach a lot of people, and it's funny though because I never really realized. I thought everybody, and it's funny. We I think we all do this. Whatever we're good at, we think. Anybody can do it. We, we yeah. just kind of push it off like, oh, well, surely, you know, you can cook a seven course meal. <laughs> I mean, who can't do that? You know, I can barely cook ravioli, but I was really, really good at it. And I always was. I always was good at that. So now knowing that and now that, yeah, I do. That's what I, I teach people um, in, in how to do that and how to create that. And not only just how to do it and how to create it. But to really understand how the mind works and and when you feed the right information, when you feed the right feeling, it will show up for you and you just have to feed the right information. So when I see people that are, you know, um, in depression or have very strong or, you know, uh, debilitating anxiety or even, you know, cancers, I've worked with a, a bunch of cancer patients. It really is like, okay, so I'm going to tell you what to do here. And it's not easy, but you, it, it, but it's, it's like you're in first grade right now. And I'm not going to teach you algebra, but what I need to help you understand is it is your attention on this that it is keeping it there. So your attention on this cancer that your body is fighting is what's keeping it there. Yeah, what and you resist maybe, persists. Yeah, 100%. And maybe, just just maybe, that that cancer is coming to save you. It's coming to release trauma in your body. And it's calling for you to take action. And you can go and do the chemo. You can do all that. You can definitely do that. That's what we do in a 3D world for sure. But also what you can do is start to heal from the mind. And then the mind starts to heal the body. So through meditation, through breath work, and we've seen people actually start to lose their symptoms and they start to heal themselves because they don't look at themselves like a victim. They start to look at themselves as, okay, wait a minute, I'm not gonna call this cancer anymore. I'm gonna call this Lily. This is my friend. And it's trying to tell me something. So every morning I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna ask it, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to show me? What trauma are you coming to me to point out? Because maybe I just need to let go of that trauma because we all have trauma. We all have it stored in our body and it's the art of getting it out, of releasing it. You can stop thinking about it. That's great. Hard to do, but that's great. But what happens is we have that stored in our body. So, we automatically go back there. That's what the mind uses to get us to feel again. So it really is a simple thing, but it's very difficult for people to grasp because that is not what is taught. <laughs> and that yeah. is not what is practiced on out it's there. It's simple, the but it goes against what we've been conditioned 100%. to believe and all those 60,000 thoughts that we have every day. Yeah. I always thought that it was the wrong way around to talk about cancer or anything in our own body as something that we're fighting. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I think that's the yep. wrong metaphor. We're not fighting it. Like, what if you surround it with love instead of fighting it? How would that feel different? And what if 
you know, it's such a powerful shift to go from these things are happening to me to these things are happening for me. Like when I talked to Dr. Terry Gordon in his story and he said, you know, God spoke to him, treat this as if you had chosen it. You know, that these tragedies mm. in our lives, mm-hmm. it, why, why would you choose this? What is there to gain from this? What might you benefit um, from with this? And then when we're talking about that visualization, I mean, that's something that Wayne Dyer tried to teach us, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was oh, something that he wanted to tell us about. Um, imagine the feeling of your wish fulfilled, your mm-hmm. wish fulfilled, that it's not just in the words, it's in the feeling behind it and not saying, oh, please heal me, please heal me, because then you're emphasizing a lack. But if instead you go, I am perfect health, I am well, like, thank you for the mm-hmm. blessed day. Like, I feel so good, you know, and I think he was kind of in the fake it till you make it like in a category, right? Like mm-hmm. if you don't bit. quite believe it, like try those affirmations anyway and, and try to reach for that feeling in your body and it might just get you closer to it. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, with Dr. Wayne, it, he, what, again, what I loved about him was he was just a regular guy and, and I could relate to that. I can't relate to a physicist because I don't study that. I can't relate to a doctor because I don't have that degree. But this regular guy that is up there and he's writing, you know, the words on this piece of paper that inspire me, that empower me, that, yeah, what if, what if, you know, we all believe that death is 100% the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you and it's going to be the end. But what if it's not? I mean, I haven't died and come back. So what if it's not that? What if it's that's hitting the lottery? Suddenly, cancer isn't such a bad thing. Pretty soon, you're walking into work. You're not going to believe it. I have cancer. Oh, my God. We're so proud. So happy for you. Right? Because it's just a total different, a tiny shift in perception can totally transform everything in your mind. So, and, and I'll be honest, there were moments in, there was one moment when I was in the hospital bed that the nurses would come in and they would, in order for, you know, not to get bed sores and all that, they would prop me up in different pers- in positions. And this one night they came in and they put pillows behind me and to prop me up. Well, somehow I rolled forward and I rolled over and my face is in the pillow. And it's like it, with that, a baby, you got to worry about suffocation, right? It's, it, I'm telling you, I was the, I was a hundred and well, at that point, 140 pound baby, but <laughs> I was laying there and I'm like, well, I guess this is how it's going to end. And this is just how it's supposed to be. And I laid there for 45 minutes and, it, and I, I was gasping for breath, which I didn't have a lot of power to breathe first off, you know, because everything, my body was down to whatever movement I had in, you know, my esophagus and being able to breathe is probably down to about 15% of actual capacity, right? So that's not here, good. Not at all. So here I am, pillow in my face and, um, you know, I'm breathing in barely anything. And I really just felt like, oh, I'm going to die like this because no one's going to come in and save me. I'm going to be able to, how long am I going to be able to last like this? But I kind of resigned myself to the fact, okay, well, you know what? If this is the end, then this is the end. And maybe it's not so bad. 
because my grandmother, um, my, I, I never got to talk to her about it, but she, um, and it kind of sidelined a little bit, but she had, when she was 16, 16 years old, she died and she came back to life, obviously, or else I would not be here. And I was trying she, to do that math. I was like, wait, yeah, wait, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and she, but my, uh, my mom was telling me, well, no, she died and she, you know, saw the light and she, and she, all she felt was love. And I thought, well, okay. So if grandmom did it and all she felt was love, then maybe I'll feel that love and where it takes me, it takes me. But when you have that amount of time to sit there and really think and plot out, okay, well, if this is the end, this is where I'm going to go. And I'm sure a lot of people that have the cancers that have all these debilitating diseases, they lie awake at night and they think that, but they're not thinking that they're thinking about the end of my life. You know, my, what's my family going to do? And it's, it's again, what if, and that's why, again, that's why I love Dr. Wayne. He always kind of filled me with that. Let's think different. Let's think different. And he brought Anita Morjani to the stage, which changed my understanding of death. When she talked about what she felt on the other side, that's something that has really stayed with me in terms mm. of changing how I feel about the experience of death. Mm. And then it's interesting that you bring this up because I had an epiphany after my dad died last year. And it's the biggest loss of my life. Don't get me mm. wrong. But there was this moment that followed where I thought, what if death isn't the worst thing that can mm -hmm. happen? Because to me, I could still feel his spirit and he felt more alive than ever before. Mm -hmm. And what a bizarre thing to think. You know, even as I'm thinking it, I'm like, this is bizarre. He feels more alive than before, but he's dead. Mm -hmm. And he died at home. And when I went to my parents' house in the space where he had died, and I was scared to go there. I was scared mm. to face that, to mm. see him not be there anymore. But mm. there was this energy in mm. the room that was phenomenal. It was like a portal of light. Mm. And, and I, even though I'm having this sort of very human experience of grief, there's this other part of me that's just tingling and going, mm. wow, if we really understood death, mm. it might be something that we celebrate. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine, can you imagine if we all got together and celebrated, oh, you're going to die. How exciting. And it sounds yeah. totally insensitive to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. But there was this, this feeling of transcendence, of this understanding that there's more and that we always think of death as a failure. What if it's not a failure? Mm -hmm. What if it's just another doorway mm -hmm. to the next? And mm -hmm. the feeling that I get from my dad now is it would be really sad if we lived here forever because that's mm -hmm. not what we came here mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah 100% 100% and I've I've been very I've been very lucky to um, be with people um, loved ones that when they died and the my grandmother who at 16 came back I was there in the room when she died and she had had a battle of uh, bone marrow cancer for oh, probably a year and a half. And it was just a horrible thing to see this person you love going through this and bedridden uh, in my home, uh, you know, when I was a child. And I think I was 16. I would go in there and I would play guitar for her and stuff like that. And one day I was in there playing guitar and this woman 
she didn't utter any words for probably months. And all of a sudden she said, Scotty. And I looked over and I'm like, yeah, grandma. And she's like, you know what? I'm really just done fighting. And I said, well, it's time to let go. It's time to let go, grandma. You know, Pop-Pop's waiting for you and, and all that. And we had this conversation that I didn't know who I was talking to because I, I, she, she didn't talk like that for probably the last eight months of her life. She, you know, she had a lot of mental trauma and it was really horrible. And this was clear as day. And then literally and probably within an hour, you know, she had passed. And I felt so gifted that I got that gift from her. Like it was, I got to look into it. I got to see inside a little bit. And, and then even when uh, my best friend, uh, you mentioned in the opening with uh, him drowning and I, I watched the whole thing and it was a light, you know, it was like a light shone down on him. And there was one side of me who saw the tragedy in it, you know, and then, but there was such a big part of me that saw this beauty in it. It was so beautiful. Like it was the most magical setting. It was a beautiful day in like early, early evening. The sun was glistening on the water and I just saw him just basically surrender and to lay down in the water and just surrender. And it was like he was spread out saying, okay, I'm ready. And it, I swear to you, it was like a light shine down on him and a little wave came and he was gone. And in that moment, I just felt that peace, that love. And how do you go from that to explain to everybody, his mother, his father, his family, his friends, his daughter, his son, how do you explain that to them? They, they weren't necessarily ready to hear that, which I totally understand, but again, what do we know? What do we know? And if we could only look at it as a maybe, okay, well, listen, you have cancer, but maybe this could be the greatest thing that has ever happened to you because Whether you were you going live to grow or die. Whether you exactly. live or die, it could be the yes. greatest thing ever, yeah. which is be so, I mean, how do we wrap our oh. heads around that? But because when you see somebody that overcomes, right, when you see somebody that overcomes um, like even with me and, and that's why I love, you know, the video is so impactful, even for me. I mean, that was, that video was for me. Um, you know, and my, my, my uh, wife, she, she produced that, you know, we took all these bits and pieces that we had and we kind of made this thing together and it would, it literally took, you know, an hour to put together, but it was really for me to remember and to don't forget what you came through so you can live this and look at what you're living. So keep living it and fill yourself with that love, fill yourself with that enthusiasm, fill yourself with that hope, with that inspiration and bring people along with you to bring people along with you. And the moment, you know, after my, you know, my best friend, Brad, uh, when he drowned, I remember being on that beach the next day and it, it hits me every time, every time I talk about it, it chokes me up, but I made him a promise. 
And I said, I'm going to live a life for both of us. I'm a great life. I'm going to be great. And I'm going to help whoever I can, whoever will listen. I will help however I can to show them how to live a life. Because we always talked about doing these things, these great things, these grandiose things, you know, whether it was, you know, a month long ski trip or whatever it was to, or, or businesses, whatever. But we, our last day together was probably one of the most beautiful days of our lives. And it was kind of like almost walking him to that door. It was almost like that whole day and the day before, it was like walking him to this door because we were on vacation and we were just having beautiful moments together. And how can you walk, go through that, all that beauty and all that love the days before and suddenly this is a tragic event. And I, I really had trouble wrapping my head around that. You know, how can this be a, a tragic event? But of course he was gone, you know, yeah. so... So it is that, it is that, you know, navigating the belief systems that we've been handed down generations over generations over generations. And that's only the beginning, <laughs> you know, it's, and that's what we're trying to unprogram. That is what we're trying to, that is our passion. That is absolutely my passion is to help people unprogram that and to look at, okay, you have this anxiety, why? Where's it coming from? It's in your body. What did somebody say to you in a moment, in a moment that you hung on to and for the rest of your life, you have uttered those words over and over and over again in your, in your mind. And you have become that. Yeah. You what's happening in your, what's happening in your inner world that's manifesting in your outer world. I saw a video recently about a guy talking about, um, recovery from, um, addiction and he had somebody that helped him dig out uh, the shame that he was feeling in mm -hmm. his life. And wh what is it that he's ashamed of? What is it that he doesn't want people to know? Where is this coming from? And and when he got it all out and he didn't want to, when he got it all out, it actually wasn't so bad after mm -hmm. all. And other people had been through it. Mm -hmm. And he said it's like now all of a sudden he had a roadmap to his addiction. These were the things that were making him use. Yes. And he didn't, he hadn't seen it. And it was, it was clear. It was very clear when the light shone on. Oh, it was this that I've been carrying with me as to why I have this impulse to do things that are self-destructive. Mm -hmm. So now he can recognize that. Now he can start to go, okay, I'm feeling this, but I'm going to make a different choice. Mm-hmm. And we can do that in our lives too. It doesn't have to be a drug or alcohol addiction or um, it could be anything as obvious about, yeah, it can be anything. Yeah, it could be any, I mean, just self-deprecating thoughts. You know, once you, in, 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 um, in our course, we have what we call, we call freedom activation. And it is basically doing that. It's like going back and really trying to uncover these, these feelings, these thoughts that, show up in our everyday and okay so why is that coming up and yeah. just like that gentleman you just talked about it's you know the number one thing and and i've i've uh i've had some conversations with heroin addicts and the number one thing with them is i just don't fit 
I just don't fit. And I, and it was, this was the one thing I, I could numb myself because I, what is wrong with me that I can't fit into this world? And I would say to him, well, maybe the world is the problem. Maybe you're right. Maybe you just know more than the world that you're living in. And, you know, you, you go to this extreme because how painful is it when society around you doesn't accept you to the point where you don't accept you. And that is, it's just so sad. And I really, really do believe that we are turning a corner here. And everything that is going on in the world is the perfect example of, it has to get so insane. It has to get so crazy. It has to get so bizarre that we see it for what it really is. It's nonsense. Otherwise, we just we get complacent and we're just like, ah, yes. it's not that bad. It's, it's not okay. that bad. I can live with it until it gets bad enough. Like you have to hit that whatever your proverbial rock bottom is before. That's you're it. Like, okay, okay, something needs to change. You know, talking about addiction, that's one of the things that they say. Like you have to let this person reach their rock bottom. If you keep if you keep saving them, then they have no motivation exactly. to get the help that they need. When I talked to um, Brandon Manjin, we were talking about sobriety and he said that connection is the antidote to addiction. And I mm-hmm. totally agree mm-hmm. with that. I think 100%. that, you know, it's, it's not that we need to isolate people because they did something that they weren't supposed to do, but like, this is a cry for help. And I really think that people who are struggling are often the ones who feel more, see more, have witnessed more, and it doesn't make them wrong. And it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to feel that it means that, there's a lot of stuff for us mm-hmm. to like dig through in this world that comes our way. And like, it's, it can be really hard. It can be really hard, but it's easier to get through that when we, when we feel that connection, when we, when we feel that presence with another person. And, um, so you talk about some of the work, um, that you're doing and, uh, this is through the freedom project. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's our, co- yep. Yeah. Freedom Project. So tell me more about the Freedom Project. What is it and what is it that you do there? Well, what we, um, what we, it, it just kind of came about because uh, we would go to um, meditation workshops and we would be in this energy and it first started with M and I, which I met her at a, a workshop and we, before I met her, all I can say is I just found it, I, you know, and that, that's my tagline. And I guess you could say, um, I found it. It, it, it just came into my heart. My heart exploded and I suddenly just loved myself and, and, and no words could ever, ever even begin to describe. And it gave me that, that I had, really not had in a very, very, very long time, you know, going through the tragedy and uh, even being in the bed, it was, you know, there was a lot of feelings that I felt. I felt a lot of guilt with the tragedy. I felt, you know, I was responsible. Um, I was angry. There was all that. And again, it's just as you said, I was, I was so broken that I just couldn't take anymore. I I was so helpless. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to find this outlet and then it happened there. Um, 
So I had met him there and, uh, you know, now, you know, uh, she's my wife now. And we had met uh, Simon, who is uh, another part of the Freedom Project. And we were brothers instantly. And the three of us kind of came home. We would come home from these things. And the energy is so high there. You elevate. It's such a high level and such a high frequency. It's like anything you can think of just suddenly appears like that. It, it really is magic. It's like going to Hogwarts. You know, it's like the Harry Potter school. I swear to you, it really was like that for us. But we would come back to our old environments and there Scott would be waiting. When I was away, I was somebody else. And then when I came back, Scott was there. Scott built the environment. Scott built the, the job. Scott built all of it. So I became Scott again. Energy drops. So we really decided that we were going to, let's create a little group that we can have these conversations. And then we got really good at it. And we started to, I'm all about mindset and teaching exactly what we're talking about. My stories, so many other stories of people that I've worked with and talked to and met and all of that. And basically just, yeah, how maybe we got this wrong. And M is uh, so passionate about breathwork. And breathwork is, again, it's this, this secret that is coming out now that people are starting to grasp and they're starting to realize, wait a minute, I don't need a drug to make me feel this way. My own body can do this. And that is just the 1%. It is, it is like describing the brain. You only use 5% of your brain. You are only what your body is capable of. You know, I always say it's like, you know, you have all this blood pumping through 12,000 miles of, of veins and capillaries in your body, not your job. You know, you have neurons firing in your brain every second, not your job. 23 million cells are dying and being replaced every second, not your job. But yet you can't do the everyday thing. You can't just go out and feel good, you know? So that was a big deal. And when we really started to do breath work, that was really, really big deal and with meditation. And then with Simon, what he does is free, what we call freedom activation. And freedom activation is uncovering those you know, that, that thing, that shame, that guilt, that moment that your father said this, you have to eat everything on your plate because what do you think? Money just grows on trees. Suddenly black is born in that moment. Okay. We don't have money. So then what happens? You grow up. I don't have money. Money isn't easy to come by. That means I got to work harder. That means, and, and you, the, the chips just start getting stacked against us. So if we can uncover those thoughts, and if when we know how the mind works, my job, and we can start to really understand that and how simple th this thing is in creating, and we can understand how these thoughts have ruled our lives, and we can start to uncover them and move them out into the open. That's what we say, because they've been buried into your body. That's what the cancer is trying to show you. Listen, it's not me, cancer. I'm not your problem. Your problem is this over here, and it is hiding over here. You need to bring it out. And the way you're going to bring it out is because I'm going to get you to make to go get help in some way. You're going to wake up 
in some way. And now, then you're going to know it's hiding in the corner. So once we get that pulled out, that's where the breath work comes in because then the breath work can take that, that toxicity and move it out of your body. So we have this eight week program. We call it the beyond limits crash course where we take uh, people through this and it is intensive, but we watch people literally change in front of our eyes. I'm talking people coming to us with anxiety, depression, you name it, all addiction, you name it. And suddenly in a matter of even four weeks, this person is not the same person, but we have a trick. The first job that they have when they come in, they come up with a new name. Suddenly they're not Scott, they're ugly. Suddenly they're not Emily, they're M. So we, we do that because you have to forget who you are. When you can disassociate from yourself, from the name, the identity, the ego that you think you are, then maybe you can change. So if we can get a real clear vision of what that person, that future self, what your new entity is, that being that lives inside of you, that is pumping the blood, that is changing all the cells, that is shooting all those neurons. If we can get you to connect to that, what isn't possible for you? And that's why people suddenly, they start changing their lives. They start moving out of their old environments into new environments because they're empowered. Listen, we can all take the environment around us, the people around us to keep us right where we are. And that never changes. But the moment that you turn off that switch and you say, I'm going to live the life that I need to live. And just like you said, sometimes it takes us to hit that bottom to get there. And that's why I say, thank God it came. Thank God. The people that come on our, you know, on our calls, because we do a live call every week. And, you know, when people tell, tell me when they first on a discovery call or when I first talk to them, because I do love just talking to people because listen, even if they do a course, don't do a course, it doesn't matter to me. I'm fulfilling my promise. That that's my love is to inspire people to, to let them understand just like we talked about, maybe death isn't so bad, right? So yeah. to open their eyes up, to, 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 to look at a different perspective, uh, perception, that is my passion. That's what I love to do because you know, Really, isn't that what we should all be doing? It really is just what we all should be doing. Instead of fighting, deciding, oh, you know, Republican, Democrat, whoever's running, who cares? Yeah. It's let's just more distraction. Let's love one another. Let's lift each other yes. up. Let's walk each other home. It's yes. so simple. It's so you're, simple. You're offering some amazing tools for people to um, envision a new life for themselves. And it sounds like it really starts with rewriting the stories that we tell us and un, or that we tell ourselves about our yep. own life. Like you have to reimagine yourself and uh, opening that door for people to, to see what's happening inside of them and, and what's possible for them. Can you tell us about the title of your book, Finding Ugly? So uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, so my best friend, um, we, we called each other ugly you know that's unusual call, yeah <laughs> and you know two you know good looking guys i guess you could say and uh we were just full of life and 
you know, a lot of fun and fun to hang out with and, and all that. And we were just really, we just got each other. And I would call him up. He would call me, yo, ugly, what's going on? Hey, ugly, how you doing? Yo, ugly, you know, it's kind of our little joke. And it really became our name for each other. We just called each other that all the time and for years. And um, when I first went seeking and started to go to any, listen to anything I could, um, go to any workshop that I could, I was, and even laying at bed every single night, I searched for his forgiveness because I felt that it was my fault that he took his last breath that day. And I searched for him for four years and a painful search and, and begging. I mean, seriously begging, like, please give me something. Give me a sign. Just tell me, tell me we're good. Just please tell me we're good. Never came. And I was at a meditation workshop and I had this incredible out-of-body experience, I guess you could say, where it was, I think it was a four-day workshop. And the first meditation, the first day, this little ball of light comes down. It's like, I'm kind of out, you know, I'm in the blackness. And this little ball of light came down. And then it's sitting right in front of me. And all of a sudden, my grandmother's face shows up on it. And I'm like, that's what we are. We're just little balls of light. And I am using my grandmother's face so I can have a reality with her. I can have an interaction with her. So in that moment, it was like, yep, that's what we are. And that's kind of what she said. And she said, follow me. And then for the next four days, in every single meditation, she came and she took me to dogs. And as I would pass them, I could smell them like that little ball of light of this animal. I could smell them. I could hear them. I would have a friend and I could hear his voice. Uh, somebody else, I would see their smile. And it was so, I mean, I am laying in puddles of tears when this is happening because I am releasing so much pain. And the very last meditation, um, my grandfather and my grandmother, it still gets me. Um, they come and they're holding my hand and they're, I'm walking with them and there's a figure in front of me and I get, they walk me to it and then it turns around and it's him and he walks right into me. And he said, it's, it's never been me. It's always been you because I am you. The forgiveness that you're looking for is your own. So all this time, I thought I was trying to find him that ugly when I was really just trying to find me. And wow. that's, that's where the, and of course the title came in a, and the whole book cover and everything came in, in a meditation in that in that workshop and it, lit, it literally that moment changed my life i mean completely changed my life 180 degree turn changed my life and and it, it took a lot to do and it took a lot it didn't a lot of people were unhappy with it but again there's a promise and the promise had to start with me i had to keep that promise to myself for myself i had to live the best life i could i knew that and you know, it's, it's always been that, always been that, 
love in me. And I, I've just been so appreciative of all of everything that has come to me and the people, all of it. And it's just been an amazing ride, amazing ride. That's so beautiful and so profound. Thank you mm. for sharing something so personal. And what a gift that your family appeared to you in that way. Mm. But the thing is, they're always there. They are always it's, there. It's when we open to it. It's when we're ready to see them. So it's mm -hmm. like you, you were looking for your friend for four years. But that desperation that you felt, that that forgiveness that you craved was only there because you had judged yourself. 100%. If there's no yeah. judgment, then there's no need for forgiveness because mm -hmm. there's nothing to forgive. Yeah. So I have no doubt that he was with you and is with you through all of this. Mm -hmm. It's with your grandparents. Oh, yeah. What an amazing experience. Sometimes we need something that's so visceral and so yeah. real that it's like we can understand things that could never be put into words. And I find that that's one of the more frustrating things, I think, being active in the spiritual community is like the things that, that mean the most, the things that are at the heart of it are like the most inadequate to express with words or they sound so cliche or it's things you've heard a hundred times before but haven't haven't got it, haven't yep. had that spark because it's this it's this understanding that that transcends words. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you for for sharing that beautiful your your story. Uh, your book, Finding Ugly. It's I mean it's got some difficult difficult things that you went through in there that you share with us, and especially about losing your friend Brad. I mean, um, it's so painful, and I just can't even imagine. But but at the same time, you know, you took that and you've made it part of your life mission. And, and I honor what, what you've done for that. It's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today so that you oh, can share you so this much. with others. Because I know you're going to reach people. You're reaching people on a heart level. You know, mm -hmm. like we hear the words, but we feel the message behind it. Um, but it's a really great book. I felt like you got to the heart of it so quick. Mm -hmm. Like, like I feel like there's no messing around. You didn't yeah. spend ten chapters getting to the yeah. point. Like you, you're on page two, and you're like, "Oh my God, this is packed full you're in of it. stuff." Yes, yeah. it's almost like the cliff notes to yeah. like the yeah. the heart of of what you're trying to say. And I love that, and I think people are are really gonna um, enjoy reading it. Now, with your friend Brad, like mm -hmm. it's so bizarre what happened because you guys were walking on the beach. Mm -hmm. And you had children with you, and then the beach just kind of collapsed. Like I didn't even know that was possible. Well, it was on an inlet, so we were down at the beach, and then we walked down to where the the ocean meets the bay. So there's an inlet that is the connector between the bay and the ocean. Mm -hmm. So we were walking on that inlet beach, but it was right at the corner where the ocean and the beach comes together, and it was a beautiful day no it didn't look like there was any kind of uh you know current or really rough water not at all and um yeah i had my daughter she was uh at the time i think she was seven and my son who was nine and my daughter was on my back and i here we are in this most beautiful moment and he had his daughter who was seven and here I am walking with my daughter on my back and I guess the extra weight or whatever, but it just kind of the sand that I was standing on was kind of like a, 
you know, like a cliff almost. And it just crumbled out from underneath me. And I went in the water. There was no bottom because it was kind of like a river. And uh, I found myself swimming for my life. And at that point, I really didn't know where he was, uh, Brad was. I didn't know where his daughter was. And it was just a struggle to, I, you know, I, gave, I, I was just swimming with everything I had. But in back of my mind is, okay, what's plan B? If you can't make it, what's plan B? And then I kept thinking, no, you have her. So you, you have to get to this shore. You have to find that way. And I was just so exhausted because as soon as I went in, it was like a whirlpool effect. It kind of took me out into, um, you know, probably, oh, I don't know, maybe even 50 feet from shore. But I was swimming against the current. I did not want to let go of me, I'll tell you that. And um, finally, when I was just about to really give up and, and start to look for plan B, um, my fingers hit the sand. And that moment... I'll never forget it, you know, and it was like trying to climb up out of a iced over pond. You know what I mean? You're trying to climb up on the ice and it and it kept breaking. The sand kept breaking. And finally, I got up and I was just so exhausted. And my son came down, grabbed my daughter. And then I turned around and I saw Brad and I saw his daughter and they were about 100 feet apart and they were about 150 feet away from the shore. And he was calling her name. And it was that moment of how can this be real? How, how can this happen? We, you know, literally a minute ago, two minutes ago, we were the happiest people in this world. And now this is happening. And it's that time stand still type of moment, you know, where it just seems like it takes forever. But um, at first, you know, I, I, uh, was just calling for anybody to, you know, get them. And uh, I saw a police boat and I was waving for him. And he saw me and I was pointing to where they were. Well, what I didn't know was the police boat was racing out to somebody else that was in trouble on a jet ski out in the ocean. And when I pointed, he looked the opposite way. He looked left instead of right. And he went right by Brad. He went right by his daughter, literally 40 feet. And that's when I really was like, what is going on here? Like, this is really happening. And then um, then his daughter started to scream. And then I thought, I, I got to get her. I got to get her. And I remember looking back and my kids are sitting on the sand and my son was kind of distracting my daughter by playing, like drawing in the sand, you know. And... Uh, I, I said goodbye, you know, I said goodbye to him because I knew I, there was no way I was going to get out of here. I mean, I barely made it back the first time. How am I going to swim out to her and get back? And I went back in the water. And as soon as I hit that water again and I saw how far she was, I turned around. And that, that's a Sophie's Choice moment, you know, and that really stuck with me. That was a lot of pain that moment. Um, made it back again and uh, was able to get back to shore. And I just started jumping and flailing my arms and a jet skier who was probably 200 yards from me saw me and came racing up and literally pulled her out of the water. She just went under and he, he literally pulled her out by her hair. And uh, I was watching both of them 
and trying to keep my eye on Brad. And when I turned back to see him, I saw him laying there, as I described earlier, and a uh, little wave came up and he was gone. That was it. And it was, it, it was a really tough moment because again, what I, what I saw, you know, you see this beauty, but then again, how can that be beautiful? You have this tragedy, you know? So it, it, it was for everybody. It was, a, it was such a devastating blow for, you know, obviously his whole family, I felt horrible. I felt like I was, you know, I was the, re I was the one who chose the path. He was behind me. I chose this way to go. And it really, but of course, it had nothing to do with you. Oh, it was a, it oh, was a without freak a accident. But again, almost, it almost took three of you that day, you know? Oh, with, oh it absolutely did. And again, it, it it's that thing that we all do. Our minds take over. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, it's that I know in that, even in that, you know, the days after, I knew that that came for some reason, that I had to take this. I had to do something with this so I could relate to people that have been broken, that have been helpless and hopeless. And, you know, because listen, you, you, you can have a doctor sit there and diagnose you. If he hasn't had what you had, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, how do you relate to somebody that has, you know, been through tragedy like that? How do you relate yeah. to somebody that has- It's from the outside looking in, it's, it's It is, and it, it's mm -hmm. like, it's like, do you want a person that's actually been on the ground and build a house? Or do you want to, do, do you want someone to help you that is, you know, written a book about building a house, but never built a house? You want somebody that's done it. And I think that's the thing, you know, I think, especially in, in the medical field and, and, you know, what we see in our, in our reality today is doctors saying what can't be done. And listen, I mean, we're a walking miracle. I mean, I was unable to use my my body parts. I was unable to walk. I mean, you've seen me in that video. Six people took me, you know, it took to to get me to make a step in parallel bars. So to I know what that's like to be in that moment and to be able to do it again. And for someone to try to put themselves in that, you know, whatever it is, is really... There is just no way that you can feel that helplessness. And it is just so, you just don't fit anywhere, not even in you. You're, I mean, it's just so, and if we can just touch people and show them, listen, maybe it's not you. Maybe the world doesn't fit in you. Maybe the world's the problem. Maybe the reality's the problem. And especially with kids today and with all that we see with, you know, with addictions, any kind of addictions. What if they don't fit in this world because this world's wrong? What if they know more and they're forced to fit like mm -hmm. a prisoner is forced to walk a line, you know? There's and a quote that says, if you feel like you don't fit into this world, maybe it's because you're here to build a new one. Absolutely. And, and we, I think we forgot that. And I think that's why we've seen everything that we have seen in the greatest year ever, 2020. I really do believe because... I like that spin on it. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, because, I mean, listen, I, you know, from laying in that bed, I, I lived the greatest life I have ever able to live because... 
I laid in that bed. So 2020 is my year 2001. And I see where I am now. So I know 2020, holy cow. Yeah, you just wait till 2030 and what's coming because there's going to be a lot of things that people are going to understand. You know what? Maybe they're just broken and they do need to be rebuilt. And we do need those people that don't fit. And we need to empower them. We need to motivate them. We need to inspire them so they can go out and they can create what isn't here yet. But you know what? We're gaining on it. You know, the people that are out here that, you know, that are, you know, people like us, right? I love it. It's a Kelly Clarkson song. It's one of my favorites, people like us. It really is about building a new world. And I know that sounds hairy-fairy, whatever. Oh, that's so grandiose. Yeah, yeah. well, you got to come back to reality. No, maybe you need to come and live in my reality yeah. because my reality is pretty damn good. I got to I got to be honest. It's pretty damn good. I sent you a picture of the sunset I saw earlier. Mm -hmm. You don't see that when you are watching the news. You yeah. don't see that when you're lying in a hospital. You don't see those things until you get out and you see them. And then once you see that, once you see that beauty in that sunset, you can't unsee it. It's there. It's there. Yeah. So. What you focus on is what expands. And we really do have an opportunity to reinvent not only our lives, but the way the country is run, the way that our systems 100%. are put together, what we're doing with the planet on a global scale. You know, it has to get bad enough, like we talked about, for us to say, okay, enough, this needs to change. And so this is the point in that story where, you know, maybe a lot of people are seeing villains come up, but those villains bring us together 100%. and they inspire yeah. us to take action. And so, yeah, anything is possible. And you mm -hmm. are a walking proof of miracles. Uh, and, well, thank you um, for that. Yep. Walking yes. now, walking now for sure. Walking yes. now. And, mm -hmm. you know, like no matter how bad things get, if you can envision a better future, you know, then it's possible for you to get there. Yeah. Now, um, you talked about your wife, Em, and I actually mm -hmm. saw a video on Joe Dispenza's YouTube page mm -hmm. that you guys met at one of his workshops, and I thought that was so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're both part of the the Freedom Project. Um, yep. The website for that is Freedom. I have uh, all my Project. notes. Great. Yep. <laughs> yep. It is uh, Freedom Project 222, the Freedom Project 222.com. Great. And email if you have any questions. We have info at the Freedom Project 222.com. And honestly, the best way to get in touch with us, because it's it's free, is on Facebook we have the Freedom Project and it's a closed Facebook group and we share a lot of this. You know, it's that thing that we just love to share this stuff. We do a lot of lives, a lot of information about what freedom activation is, a lot of free breathwork classes. We really try to build a tribe that is all about inspiring each other and, and honestly opening up to each other, opening that little can of shame because guess what? We all got it. We all got it. And when you mouth it, when you say it, you know what? You realize it's really not as bad as I thought. And yeah. if we can share that together, that's really what empowerment is. And we love to do that in, in our Facebook group. So the Freedom Project uh, on Facebook. And yeah, just, it's great. Just Come and check it out. You guys have awesome videos. On Thank there. you so much. 
Now, I wanted to tell you that there's only one other time that I heard about um, Guillaume Barre. And mm-hmm. interestingly, it's from one of my mentors, uh, Kyle Gray. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I am not. He's a, he's a Hay House author in Scotland. He's known as the Angel Guy. I studied um, angel card readings with him, and um, he's fantastic. If you don't, I've mentioned him before, ah. but um, for anybody who wants to check him out. But when he was a kid... He had Guillain-Barre, and he spent some time in a wheelchair. Now, he didn't have it as severe as you did, Mm -hmm. Um, but he was a little boy, and it was at a time when his grandmother was staying with them, and she was also in a wheelchair. So they bonded over that because Mm. they had that time together where, you know, they both couldn't get up and walk. And what's interesting to me is, you know, he he became this um, spiritual teacher, Mm. And, and this experience was it sounds like part of his awakening. Absolutely. And so to hear that this is part of your story as well, mm-hmm. um, I was just really excited to kind of make that connection. Like, like, wow, here's another person who experienced not only something similar, but one of the exact same things. Mm-hmm. And that time was was transformative for you. Mm-hmm. So, Without a doubt. And I think you could have that even, you know, one of the things about Guillain-Barre, not a lot was known about it. And and a side note, which is really fascinating, it is extremely, extremely rare to get. And wow. M's, M's grandmother suffered and died with Guillain-Barre. Wow. How crazy is that? So, hello, universe. So I'd like to share a quote from your bio at the end of your book, because I think it really sums up your mission statement. Scott tells these stories as triumphs, teaching others that all their limitations, their failures, their sicknesses, their losses, their addictions are just there to show them the door to their own greatness. Scott strives to empower people so that instead of looking at themselves as victims, they realize their own potential and how powerful their true selves really are. And I feel like that's so in alignment with Dr. Dyer's teachings. I know that you're a fan of him as well. But I wanted to ask you, if there was one message that you could leave with our listeners today, what would you say? Find it. Go find it. Don't don't think it doesn't exist for you. You know, so many people will look at somebody else's life and say, yeah, well, good for them. Lucky for them, you know. And, you know, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. In fact, it is those worst moments that really do bring about a beautiful life because you just have to move forward. You have to take steps and you have to believe it's there for you. And, you know, we talked about that earlier. It really is hitting that bottom that you read so many stories that people, you know, they hit their rock bottom and then suddenly they, they come back, you know, even, um, I guess I, I just saw, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Right. You know, there he is in, in the courtroom with his orange jumpsuit oh, on. He's a great example. And look at what he's done, right? And I mean, and to be in the spotlight and to go through that with everybody just saying, oh, well, see, there's just somebody else that fell off the wagon. Just another disastrous life, right? And look at him and where, and where he is today. It's amazing. So it would really just be to, to just go and find it. It, it, it will find you. You just have to take the step and, you know, whatever that step is, whether it's seeking help, whether it's reaching out to somebody, um, it really is just one step. It's, it's not a hundred mile hike. It's just one step. 
And when you go searching for it, when you go to find it, it will find you. It found me. That's for sure. I, I didn't get there. It got me. So that's, that's the one thing I, I, I try to impart to people to inspire them to move forward. Well, your story is definitely inspirational. Thank you for spending this time with me today. Thank you for sharing some of which is so personal, but so, um, so heartfelt and so important, especially at a time when it's easy for people to go, this is the worst year ever and my life is falling apart. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's coming together. One, uh, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. And more yeses. Yes. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And for all our listeners, thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life and telling your friends about it. To get in contact with my guest, Scott Sunderland, you can find him at thefreedomproject222.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit nadiadelacruz.com. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Namaste. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.